Well, it is Thursday. It is after 8.30. That means it's Hiking with Tim Lundy. Thanks so much for coming in again. Tim, you are actually at this moment in Scotland. This is a pre-record that we're doing here uh, tonight. So I'm speaking to you in the present as well as the future. Correct, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so because you're away, we won't be able to do a, uh, our weekly uh, safety and rescue recap. But today you want to talk about something that's very interesting. Hiking, which is an outdoor sport, which you use your own body as, as, as a tool, yet with the issues of carbon footprint coming to into, into play here. Yeah, so it's just one of those subjects that came up. Um, as we know, we're all very well aware of carbon footprint and about how vehicles and how our lifestyles are sort of now having to be molded around carbon footprint. So I thought, why not? Let's have a look and see what carbon footprint has mm. to do with... Um, Hiking and uh, but, how bad it is. But but surely hiking is has got to be quite a pollutant free sport. It's, except if you're throwing some of your rubbish from your suite to your energy bar wrappers. Exactly. Uh, it must be the, probably the most pollutant free sport out there. Yeah. So it is. I would say uh, one of the best forms of carbon footprint that you can possibly have. Um, but there are things that we can cut back on. Um, in order to make it better and to improve that carbon footprint. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're nowhere in the region of cars and things like that. But, yeah, the, it's it comes in with the, you know, especially like overnight walks mm. when you're packaging food. Um, and, you know, nowadays a lot of our food, I actually opened a, a, a box yesterday and it's Omar Rusks and they're individually wrapped. Mm. Now, I wouldn't normally buy those, but when you're out on a trail – that helps, but that means that every single rusk now has a piece of wrapping around it. Uh, so, so something that would give or hiking a carbon footprint would be, for example, as you say, the packaging of your equipment, the packaging of your food, yeah. even driving to to exactly. a starting point Correct. of a particular hike. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we some of these walks like if you had to do um swelling dam trail or the fish of a canyon like i have done you've got to get there and in order to do that you've got to drive um you could fly but of course then your carbon footprint's mm. going to be a lot bigger it's going to be a lot more expensive to do mm. it that way around as well uh, i guess it's like it's like any sport or any hobby you obviously after you've done everything that's in your neck of the woods you want to go and explore others it's uh, i've heard people talk about the carbon footprint of of uh, of climbing um, mount kilimanjaro or, or mount everest the amount of people yeah. who go there as a as as a tourist attraction may in the whole may not be although it's contributing to that economy of 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 nepal and the economy of tanzania greatly for example uh, it may not be all necessarily that great for the environment of those two mountains. Look, it's very interesting and you bring up um, Kilimanjaro and um, Everest. Everest especially because as we know now that window of opportunity to get up there is getting smaller and smaller mm -hmm. as global warming warms up which is obviously from the carbon footprint that we keep leaving behind and more and more people are going in which means more and more Sherpas which means more and more mm -hmm. food and you know, as it goes on you, you carbon footprint per person starts to grow quite mm. quite a lot. Mm. 
My, my wife did Kilimanjaro, I think, about, is it three, four years ago? And even back then, she says, while it was tremendously cold going up there, the, what was advertised and what she'd seen and what she envisioned as this snow-capped peak Mm. Of, 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 of Kilimanjaro was actually not what she got. When she got up there, a lot of the snow had already melted only on the furthest peak of, 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 uh, of peak Uhuru did she see spots of snow. But the, the mental image that we have of, of Kilimanjaro, this mountain in Africa with the snow capped peak, that is totally not the case anymore. Yeah, and it's sad. And I mean, it's happening all over the world. We have um, icebergs that are breaking away. We've got um, just it, it's the signs of it everywhere. Mm. And I think, again, as hikers, I think we kind of don't think that we do have mm. too much of a carbon footprint. And we most of the time we don't. But um, it can be, yeah, it can be... Um, it can be reduced. Mm. It definitely can be reduced. I, I guess it's almost a, a philosophical point of the hiker, of the traveler, of the explorer's spirit. Of course, you want to go. You want to go explore. You want to move. You want to be active. You want to go see what, what else is there. But in order to do so in our modern world, you either have to pack in your car. Yeah. <laughs> and use fossil fuels to get there, or you have to get in the plane, which, which uses even more fossil fuels yeah. to get there. Look, I mean, one of the other things that I can think of from the top of my head is a um, just recently, I, I can't remember if I've mentioned this to you, but um, I've just been given a backpack, a 60-liter mm. backpack, and it's my first backpack of that size mm. for the first time in 29 years. It's my wow. second big backpack, my trail pack. Um, so it's things like that. Don't go and swap it out every mm. five years or so, you know. And I mean that. What I now call old red can keep going. It's mm. still a, you know, it, it's it's falling to pieces, but it can still do the job, no mm. problem. And I would rely on it, no problem. But um, yeah, I've been given this new backpack, and um, the technology has moved on, and it has made a huge difference to me. And I think. I wonder now when I look at it, will I have a, ever have another backpack after mm. this? Um, because, you know, mm. they can actually make them last for so long if you look after them. But it's, it's sort of, sort of the, the hikers and the walkers, even the runners spirit not to change your equipment too often. I, I've yeah. noticed in, in the people who I know or who, who, who take part in, in these sports is that it's the comfortability knowing that this particular backpack Fits a certain way. These shoes, they yeah. look horrible, but they're still comfortable and they still protect my feet, so I'm still going to wear them. There's something about the, the spirit of the hiker, the walker, that says I'm rather more comfortable with something that I know uh, than something that is new. Yeah, and I mean, look, in the last couple of years, obviously, with the amount of walking that I'm doing, um, I'm getting a lot of more wear and tear out of my shoes. Unfortunately, they're not lasting as long. Um, but even shoes you can restitch instead of going rebuy and get new ones. And I find when I buy new shoes, it takes quite a while for that shoe to actually mold to your foot. Mm. Um, so it's quite uncomfortable for the first six months or so. Mm. Um, so it, I think, yeah, if you can re, redo and, um, I mean, my, the t-shirts that I've got now, I've collected so many t-shirts that have been given to me 
when I'm doing rescue standbys mm. or just events that I go to, they'll give you a T-shirt. Um, and one of the things I say at Christmas now is do not buy me another <laughs> <laughs> shirt for hiking. I've got more than enough. I've got too many, in fact. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the things like my walking stick I get mm. attached to. Um, I wouldn't want to replace that. It's, I think it's, you, you get attached to it because it goes on all these journeys with mm. you and it, it yeah, you know, it's not just a walking stick anymore. It's you mm. know, it's been there when you really needed it, and you've gone on all these adventures and seen sort of sights. Mm. And so, I think yeah, a lot of lot of hikers will hold on to a lot of stuff and a lot of gear. Mm. Um, there is always new gear constantly being mm. pushed in our face. Um, but I think if you don't need it, don't buy it. If you do need it, well, then go ahead and buy it. Mm. But buy something that's going to last. Don't buy mm. something that after two, three. Years has broken and fallen apart because then you're just adding to that whole carbon footprint. It's Thursday night. It's after half past eight. That means you're listening to Hiking with Tim Lundy here on tonight with Lester. This is a pre-recorded interview that you're listening to as Tim is currently in Scotland. And tonight we're talking about the carbon footprint of the hiking community. And yes, you may think that uh, hiking could be the most pollutant-free sport. You're not using... You know, much fossil fuels, you're only using the the energy that's in your legs. Um, there may be an argument to be made uh, for some litterbugs, but that will treat them as maybe in the main minority. But we are talking about the carbon footprint of hiking. Tim, you, you did talk about right now about reusing products and there's there's no shame in the hiking community to take a a needle and a thread to a shirt or a hem or even a a shoe that you would maybe maybe take to bark sole just to go resole it there's no shame in that in the absolutely not no i mean and and again it it comes down to people get attached to them Mm. um it's not just hiking boots anymore it's a whole lot of you know it's something that that's that's been there with you, so you wanna you wanna be able to to fix it and 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 try and stretch it as much as possible. So, mm. and I mean, I must say, like obviously now I'm in Scotland. I didn't go over to Scotland to go hiking because that would have made a huge footprint. <laughs> um, just getting there, I'm going over for holiday mm. and for a family wedding. So, but in terms of the products that are now available, do you think that that takes cognizance into into One's carbon footprint in what you use on hikes is most products that are available, reusable, receive, is resealable, repackable, and most importantly, recyclable. Yeah, a lot of them are um, because a lot of them have to go through lots of, of heavy terrain and stuff. They have to be tough and, and last a long time. Um, we had um, we had. Uh, the the people that we had here last week um, from the raw food company, um, the packaging that they've used, I've kept because mm. I know that the it's that tough hard plastic mm. um, that is resealable and I can reuse those for all sorts of things when I go hiking because they are waterproof as well, which is mm. fantastic. So yeah, it started out by holding food, um, but now it can hold all sorts of things, battery packs mm. and cell phones and all sorts of things like that. So i rather keep them and, and reuse them um, as and when I can. Mm. Um, and there's always something that you can use. In terms of multi-day hikes, you obviously if you're hiking, you're out in the wilderness for longer. You maybe have to drive 
a certain way there. Is I'm interested to know if if multi-day hikes actually increases your carbon footprint. Yeah, look, I mean, it it would increase because you're doing more days, but per day, whether it cre- increases or not, I would guess maybe because you're having breakfast, lunch, and supper. Mm. Um, so, like, my breakfast would just normally be, I'd say, easy. Mm. And again, the each one of those is individually packed. Um, as a hiker, that just mm. is easier. Um, so I try and often look for packaging that is reusable or is biodegradable. Mm. Um, it's just better for the environment. And um, Fish River Canyon, when we came out, I just noticed as we were going, the the, the waste, you've got to take all the waste out. Mm. And I just noticed how it went from a very full box of food to a very full box of rubbish. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> But it, at least it goes through landfill and it gets, mm. you know, it gets taken away. It's not left in the canyon. Mm. And, and, and accommodation, when you're looking at these multi-day hikes, many of there's either a donkey eater, there's either some sort of maybe a gas eater, maybe even just a fireplace where you just warm a big pot of, of yeah. water. What would be the, 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 have the least impact on, on the so environment? A lot, of, a lot of the overnight places now, um, I think there's a drive and a push to try and, you know, it's always nice to have a hot shower. Um, so if you can possibly have a hot shower, is to you you get solar geysers now, mm. so that's an option. Um, your compost toilets, so there's no reusing of that, um, and then the bedding is just mattresses that get used mm. over and over and over again. You bring your sleeping bag, you sleep on it. Mm. Um, so from that point of view, the carbon footprint on that, I don't think we can stretch it between many many people. Mm. Um, so the impact is is very little and. Often we'll have a gas cooker, which we should really be using other forms of, of fuel instead mm. of those gas canisters. Because obviously, once the gas canister is finished, it's got to go somewhere. Mm. But at the same time, it's also the the, the toss-up of what is convenient, in, environmentally safe immediately. Because sometimes you would rather feel safer using... Probably the gas heater or the or the gas flame than, for example, maybe doing an open fire outside, which then has the risk yeah. of there's a gust of wind. Exactly. You know, an ember could just fly into a dry, dry patch of land, and then all of a sudden you then have, you have a foul fire. En- enormous there. footprint. <laughs> you have an enormous footprint. <laughs> like in a mountain footprint. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's it's up. It's you you weigh up those 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 decisions. Yeah. You know, depending on on which environment you find yourself in. And again, I mean, if you were walking every single day, then yeah, the impact would be huge. Um, but if you're walking every couple of months mm. and it's two three days it's just being aware of it i don't think we can escape it 100 mm. percent um it's about just becoming aware of it and mm. trying to reduce it as much as as and where you can mm. as best as you can look as you say it's it's uh, as as a human being living in this particular uh, economic environment in this particular modern world, everything that you do from making yourself a, a, a cup of tea to getting in your car to go buy the tea bags has some impact on the exactly. environment, just yeah. being cognizant uh, about it. But can you think of 
of any trails that you can maybe go on that has probably a less of a imprint? Is 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 walking closer to home better than you know going driving a little bit? Of course, of course, you're losing less less fossil fuels, but uh, also you have to look at the the frequency of how those trails are used. You don't want if you live right here in town and you go up Lions Head every day, that frequency of so many people using Lions Head has an impact on that particular environment. Yeah, I think um, one th- there are a lot, but uh, one that comes to mind is the overseer's cottage, um, which has got solar power. Um, it's got gas heating um, as opposed to electricity. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you're burning gas, but compared to how much carbon you're burning to try and get electricity up there, it's a, it's a huge difference. So it's better to, to do something like that where you're walking in. Um, but again, then it's sort of a, Oh, uh, a toss-up because then your bags get driven up in a vehicle. I see. So it's a slack-packing trip. So things like Kuchelberg as well, um, they also have got eco-cabins, um, and they're very aware of it, and they're very popular, mm. um, where everything is as eco-friendly as possible and self-sustainable as possible to mm. try and reduce that carbon footprint. And obviously when you just go out hiking, you're not causing too much of damage. But as as someone who frequents the, the outdoors almost on a daily basis and have been doing this for almost your entire life, have you seen any signs, uh, besides the, obviously, the physical pollution of, of litter bugs, but have you seen any signs on the effect of of a changing climate environment, you know, particularly in the Cape Town region? Cape Town region... Um not so much. It's not as evident. Um, one region that I can definitely say I have seen it, I'd heard about it, I've seen it firsthand and it's very, very sad, is the cedarberg. Mm. So the cedar trees um, have been dying off and they reckon one of the reasons for it is because of pollution, mm. that the trees don't like the level of pollution in the air and that's because they're just mysteriously dying and mm. so they've done research into it. And I think that's what they've come up with is the fact that those trees are dying because of, of the pollution in the air. Mm. And I mean, that's the Cedarburg. It's miles away yeah. from here. I, I wonder what you, what do you see if you, for example, if you're either maybe in the Helderberg and you're looking across um, the city or maybe if you're up, you, you see this level of pollution, this blanket of pollution that just lies over over the city. If there's no southeast at that moment, yeah. it just sort of settles over the peninsula. And seeing that is 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 quite hard hitting. Yeah. No, it is. And I mean that I remember years ago in South America seeing it for the first time in yeah. Santiago, where the pollution there twenty odd years ago was terrible. Mm. Um, in fact, twenty five years ago. And now I look at Cape Town and where where Santiago was mm. 25 years ago, where, yes, we do have the wind, but it, doesn't, it just pushes the pollution somewhere else, mm. like the Cedarburg. It doesn't necessarily actually get rid of it. Um, so I think, in a way, it's a good reminder for us to be able to see that pollution to realize mm. the damage that we're actually doing to, to the environment. Well, Tim, that's it for us uh, tonight. Next week, you'll still be in Scotland, so we'll still be speaking to you in the future. But as always, if you get back in two weeks' time and people want to get hold of you for maybe a, a unique hiking experience, how do they get hold of you? So they can get hold of me on email, which is tim at capetownhiking.co.za. They can get hold of me on info at glamtrails.co.za if they want to do a glamtrails event. 
or they can get hold of me on Twitter, which is at Hiking Cape Town, and they can get hold of me on Instagram, which is Cape Town Hiking. And that's been Hiking with Tim Lundy tonight here with Lester.